Imagine you make a remix of your favorite song and upload it to the internet. You think you're doing something cool and harmless, but then you get a letter from a lawyer saying that you're infringing on someone else's rights, and that you had to pay a huge amount of money or face a lawsuit. How would you feel? How would you react? Well, this is the reality that many remixers face every day. As they clash with the big media corporations that own most of the media content in our world, my name is Sunny Sun, and in this episode of the world we live in today, I will investigate the question: To what extent do the big media corporations care about creators' rights and creativity? In other words, do these media corporations value individual creators because of their intellectual abilities? Or do they see it as an opportunity to exploit and earn profit? Every day, we consume a lot of media content. We watch movies and TV shows. We listen to music and podcasts. We read books and magazines. We browse the internet and social media. We get informed and entertained by the media. But do you know who produces and distributes most of the media content we consume? Do you know who owns and controls most of the media outlets that we access? And most importantly, do you know who decides what we see, hear, and read? The answer is the Big Six. Part one: Huge corporations and how they change our lives. The big six are six media corporations that dominate the global media industry. They're Comcast, Disney, AT&T, ViacomCBS, Sony, and Fox. Together, they own and operate hundreds of media subsidiaries such as NBC Universal, ABC, Warner Media, Paramount Pictures, Columbia Pictures, and Fox News. To give you a visual representation of this, imagine yourself walking through the cereal section of the grocery store. As you look at the shelves full of cereal boxes with Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Fruit Loops. Lucky Charms, Cheerios, Corn Flakes, Frosted Flakes, and on and on. Guess how many different corporations own these cereal brands? Five, six, or even seven? The answer is two: Kellogg's and General Mills. Now let's suppose you want to get some drinks and walk over to the drinks and chips aisle. We see the same pattern. Coca-Cola owns about half the section, including Smart Water, Vitamin Water, Sprite, Fanta, Monster, Minute Maid, Fruitopia, Nesty, and so on. While PepsiCo owns the rest, including Pepsi, Dough, Tropicana, Brisk, Aquafina, 
Gatorade, Mountain Dew, and the chips from their subsidiary Frito-Lays, including Lays, Doritos, Cheetos, Sun Chips, Ruffles, and even owns A&W, KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. To top things off, I don't even need to say anything about Nestle, who owns almost all the chocolates we hand out at Halloween other than the Mars Company. In addition, how would you react if I told you that Nestle, the chocolate company, have 30% of L'Oreal with subsidiaries like Giorgio Armani? Overall, I think you get my point. Nestle is by far the largest corporation in the food industry with over 2,000 brands, selling everything from baby food and bottled water to cereal and healthcare nutrition products. As we can probably see, the big six and these food companies likewise have enormous power and influence over the media landscape and our everyday lives. They shape our culture and our society. They affect our opinions and our emotions. They impact our politics and our economy. They are the gatekeepers of information, entertainment, and everyday commodities. Which leads me to part two, copyrights. What is a copyright? The original purpose of a copyright is, quote, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times the exclusive rights of authors to their writings. This means that copyright is intended to encourage and reward the creation and dissemination of original works of authorship, such as books, songs, movies, etc by granting the creators the sole right to control how their works are used and copied by others. This way, the creator can benefit from their works and the public can enjoy them. Before we get into the copyright rules, let me tell you a little story about the song, Happy Birthday. The history of the Happy Birthday song is surprisingly complex and controversial. The song's melody comes from a song called Good Morning to All, which was composed by two American sisters, Patty and Mildred Hill in 1893. There were school teachers who wanted to create a simple song for their kindergarten students. The alternative lyrics of Happy Birthday to You were not copyrighted by the Hill Sisters, and they appeared in various songbooks and musicals in the 1920s and 1930s. The Hill Sisters sued some of the users of the song, claiming that they owned the rights to the melody. They eventually won the copyright for the song as it appeared in a songbook for children published by the Summy Company in 1935. In 1988, Warner Chapel Music acquired the rights to the song from the Summy Company for $25 million. They claimed that the song was still under copyright until 2030 and that they charged licensing fees for anyone who wanted to use the song in a movie, TV show, or public performance. They earned up to $2 million per year from the song. However, in 2016, a group of artists and filmmakers won a lawsuit against Warner Chapel Music, arguing that they had an invalid claim to the song and that they should not be charging licensing fees for it. The court ruled that the song was in the public domain in the United States, and that Warner Chapel had to pay back $14 million in licensing fees. Hearing this encounter brings up another question for us to think about. If copyrights are established with digital records and licenses, is it moral to essentially label people's intellectual property, which can then be somehow sold to others? 
or the transaction known as licensing? There is no simple way to answer this question, but before I do, let me introduce you to the gigantic music media companies that overrule Hollywood and the music industry in America. First, we have Disney, of course, General Electric, BMG, Time Warner, Viacom, and News Corp. It comes to no surprise that most of these companies also have media holdings in the film and television industry. These industries collect what is called royalties, fancy word for money given to these companies every time you play or use the work of someone else because the agency holds the copyright to it. By using the music, it can range from simply playing it outside the realms of fair use on a YouTube video to pop songs used in movies. To put this into perspective, Maria Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You hold in 823 million streams and 94,000 downloads in 2021 alone. This generated around $6.16 million in royalties for this four-minute song in a year. And what is more interesting is the fact that most singers who are with the record label doesn't even have the exclusive rights to their own song. Instead, the rights are owned by the record label, which is basically controlled by one of the six big media corporations for them to make a profit. So to answer the question of is it right to basically use somebody's intellectual property as a sort of currency, which then brings media companies huge amount of profit? Well, yes and no, according to different people. But is this the original purpose of having a copyright to protect the creator? No. Here's a more astonishing story. Carol Highsmith, a distinguished photographer aiming to chronicle for posterity the life of the nation in the early 21st century, donates her work to the public via the Library of Congress. The library has called her act one of the greatest acts of generosity in the history of the library. The Carol M. Highsmith Archive, which is expected ultimately to encompass more than 100,000 images, is accessible royalty-free via the library's website. However, in 2015, she got a threatening letter from the photo licensing agency Getty Images and accused her of license infringement by posting one of her own pictures online. The agency demanded a settlement payment of $120 with threats of taking her to court. Then she filed a lawsuit against Getty accusing the agency of illicitly claiming rights to 18,755 of her photographs and seeking more than a billion dollars in damages. In addition, Getty didn't identify Highsmith as sole creator of the pictures they were hawking to the public, nor did it tell their clients that the photos were available for free in high-quality digital format from the Library of Congress. Furthermore, in the document that the agency sent her, even if Highsmith removes her own photographs online, they responded, I quote, while we appreciate the effort of removing the material in question from your site, we still need compensation. Your company has benefited by using our imagery without our permission. As the unauthorized use has already occurred, payment for that benefit is necessary. From this story, we can learn a few things. First, people are greedy. Businesses are greedy. They take what is necessary to make a profit, 
Second, our copyright laws do not favor the creators, but rather the copyright holders who will earn a profit from it. Which brings me to part three, the remixers. I really want to play more of those clips, but I can't. I'm afraid my fair use argument has expired. Remember what I talked about? The reason that I am allowed to play this music is because I'm evoking my freedom of expression to make a comment. But now, my comment is done. Therefore, I can't legally justify the reason for playing this music. So I'll have to play something from the public domain instead. The industry of remixing has been around as early as the magnetic tapes were invented. Remixing basically involved manipulating and arranging field recordings, such as train engines, to create a collage of sounds and a very unique auditory experience. This pushed the boundaries of a new era of music making and showed composers a new tool to make music other than an instrument. As different artists began to see remixing as a popular opinion to make music, came the golden age of sampling. This was a period of unlimited creativity because you can sample other songs to create completely new forms of music. In some cases, artists were taking sampling to the extreme by constructing tracks entirely from samples. John Oswald's Plunderphonics album consisted of 25 tracks, each centered on just one artist. Using music from the Beatles, Michael Jackson, and even Beethoven, However, this all came to a stop in the 1990s when a series of lawsuits made it clear that artists cannot sample songs anymore without permission. After threat of legal action from the Canadian Recording Industry Association, all undistributed copies of Oswald's Plunderphonics were destroyed. Which brings to the question, is it hindering an artist's creativity by limiting their ability to remix? I asked that exact question to two indie artists. Liam Aldis is an amateur musician and is currently involved in a local band called The High Wire. Okay, so what are your thoughts on remixing? Do you think sampling a song promotes creativity? I think remixing is a, a good practice. You know, if an artist uh, hears a piece of music that they want to put their own spin on and they hear a sort of, they have a vision in their head of how they could add to that piece or uh, change it in a yeah. certain way that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, in this case, do you think copyright laws hinder the creativity of artists? Because obviously they couldn't just remix any song into whatever they like. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you are assigned to like a major label or you do have the funding to actually pay for the rights of a song, then, you know, that's yeah. that's great. But I think... You know, if you don't have that and you're wanting to remix illegally and the repercussion is that you won't be able to get paid off yeah. of that music, I, I think that is the appropriate punishment. I don't think yeah. we should be taking down people's music. Yeah, uh, yeah same. But I think that they should just not be paid for it directly. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, uh, for example, there's a band called Death Grips. They released an album called Ex Military. And it's not on any streaming services because all the samples are uncleared. Yeah. Um, 
but they've still made money off of it, like through bootlegs and fan services and things. So I think if you have a devoted enough yeah. fan base, then it's there are good ways to make money off of it. Keontamanian, also known as Ninestar, is an aspiring artist and producer in the music industry. What are your thoughts on remixing, and do you think a sampling a song promotes creativity? Yeah, so definitely, I think remixing is a very essential and critical part of um, of music development. I think that it definitely contributes significantly to um, to uh, many different genres, um, including EDM, even hip hop, pop, even. Um, and you know, even indie pop, as a matter of fact, interestingly. Um, so I think that it's a very important and critical, intricate part of making music that definitely needs to subsist um, for a prolonged period of time. Now, with regards to sampling, I mean, there have been a multitudinous number of artists, um, professional and esteemed artists such as Kanye West, who rely on sampling, um, you know, old gospel music or uh, music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to make, you know, more modern types of music. So I think it most definitely um, promulgates and promotes creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, do you think copyright laws hinder the creativity of artists? I think, yeah, I, I think it, it does. Um, and because because even sampling, um, you know, has now morphed into, uh, you know, multiple different genres. Like it's, it's, um, it's, you know, kind of become its own genre, sampling music. For example, like there is sample drill, there's like sample hip hop. It's become its own thing, its own entity. So it's, it's, yeah. Because sampling is so important, and because copyright laws, copyright laws are so um, are so strict, it definitely does hinder the creativity of artists. Because you don't really have a lot of freedom and liberty to use those samples in the yeah. correct and efficient way that some artists would like to use. Um, and lastly, what are your thoughts on copyright laws? Like, do you think it is really achieving the original purpose of protecting the rights um, of I, artists? I think it does to an extent, um, but definitely copyright laws, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's definitely um, protecting the, the monetary and fiscal acquisitions of, you know, large and uh, esteemed labels um, because... Um, you know, labels are getting most of the money um, that uh, that artists acquire when producing and releasing their melodic compositions, and so by um, yeah, and by uh, you know making copyright laws more strict, that in turn causes for the sample um, from the label to be like at a much higher price, and so I think it's all like a fiscal thing. It's more of a fiscal thing than it is like a moral. Um, yeah. a moral endeavor to protect artists. Definitely, it does have the component of protecting artists from, you know, other people just stealing their music. But I think it mainly is a yeah. monetary incentive for labels. Um, you know, the, the strictness okay. of the copyright laws. Yeah. Copyright laws. Yeah. Thank you yeah, for Yeah, thank your you time. so much for interviewing me. It's an honor. Thank you for your time. This isn't to say there weren't victories in the industry of remixing. One major artist involved in remixing is Girl Talk. Now, how is it that he can create remixes of songs and not get sued? 
As I mentioned, there is an exception to copyright law called fair use. According to the Stanford Libraries, in its most general sense, a fair use is any copying of copyrighted material done for a limited and transformative purpose, such as to comment upon, criticize, or parody a copyrighted work. Such uses can be done without permission from the copyright owner. In other words, fair use is a defense against the claim of copyright infringement. However, you don't know whether your work falls under fair use or not until you're taken to court, which is exactly what Girl Talk believes to this day. A quote from Girl Talk during an interview with Billboard: "We believed in what we were doing, that this music deserves to exist and should be allowed. I think part of the reason we didn't have issues was the warm response from fans and critics. I always thought this isn't causing any damage to anyone. I still hear people like." I never heard of so-and-so artists until I heard that sample. I never thought of it as competition. No one's going to be listening to this instead of the artist. If anything, people are learning about new artists. I'm going to answer the question that I proposed at the beginning. I believe that the large media companies definitely put more emphasis on making money rather than artists, and that is the reality of the capitalistic society we live in. The way these corporations make money is from royalties, and the only way to get royalties is to be copyright holders, which means the original creators don't have the rights to their creations. Are we trying to improve with the fair use exception? Yes, but there is still so much to do to make sure no one, especially the big media companies, have an advantage over small independent creators when it comes to copyrights. <laughs>